Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am your host, Jamie, and I'm really happy that you're here. You guys, we're towards the end of October, and October has been one of my favorite months. It's always one of my favorite months. So many fun things in October, especially this past October, because we released my newest book, which is just for kids. It's called God Made You to Be You. I say it's just for kids, but a lot of the reviews have been telling us how much the parents are loving this book as well. If you have not gotten your hands on this book, I highly recommend you get it for whoever you have in your life that is a little kid, store it up for gifts, get it for Christmas. God Made You to Be You is available wherever you get books. In fact, one of our recent Amazon reviews is really great. I loved it from Hillary. She said, Jamie Ivey is amazing and so is her book. It has such a great lesson of loving ourselves as God created us and not longing to be anything other than what he made us to be. I homeschool my kids and we use this as a lesson for school this week and the importance of being who God made us to be, not letting the thief of comparison steal our joy. This story hits all the things, love ourselves and love others and celebrate all of our things. Thank you, Hillary, for that review. And I love it so much. And that is what this book is trying to do. So check out God Made You to Be You wherever you get books. And if you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw that yesterday I had the opportunity to read this book to some amazing kids at a local Christian school here in my town. And that has been one of my favorite things that I never knew I would love so much is heading into schools, preschools and elementary schools and reading this book to students. If you're interested in having me come do that for your school, email us at jamieiv.com. And if we're in your area, which we're traveling a lot this fall, maybe we can swing by. You guys, today we have a great show with Rosie Rivera. I want to give a little bit of a warning here that there is some conversations about sexual abuse and abuse of husbands, suicide ideation, rape. So if any of those are triggering to you, you might just want to skip this episode or at least be ready to fast forward if it gets a little dicey for you. In the conversation with Rosie today, we talk a lot about God being her defender. She released a book this year called God is Your Defender. And so she tells her story and how she has seen God really show up to defend her in her life. Rosie has overcome a lot of obstacles. Her sister died in a tragic plane accident eight years ago. She's walked through marriage struggles and she has a radical story of surrendering her life to the Lord. Here's my conversation with Rosie Rivera. Rosie, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for having you and I recently finished reading your book. And so I feel like I know so much more about you than I did previous to the <laughs> summer, but introduce yourself to all my listeners. Well, I am Rosie Rivera, the youngest of the Rivera dynasty is what they call us. To me, it's just my crazy family. It's your crazy family. Yes. Being the youngest in this crazy family has been an adventure. And I'm a mom. I am a mom of three, 18, eight, and how old is he? Five. He just turned five. I'm married to a worship leader. You know, I, I'm a lover of Jesus and an advocate for sexual assault and sexual abuse because that's what was in my life. And I just want to help other women be that sister that 
leads other women towards healing, just doing life with women. And in a nutshell, that's me. (laughs) I love it. Well, I, you know, this is our first time to meet and chat and I learned about you through reading your book recently. And that comes across in your, even your writing of wanting Mm -hmm. to be that kind of girlfriend that can be an advocate for someone. And so I can see that really clearly in what you do. Okay. You're going to have to explain your family dynasty to those of us that this (laughs) is new to us. So explain why you were called why your family is called your crazy family to you, but to the world, something different. To the world also, like if you happen (laughs) to be on, on any Spanish gossip show, like our TMZ and our gossip shows, my family's on there all day, every day. Not because we want to, honestly, it's been a battle since I was a kid. Mm. We've just been in the media and I was 13 and my brother accidentally, and I, it's genuinely accidentally became an artist because my dad owned a recording studio and it's always a family business. And my brother was at the recording studio and a singer didn't show up. So my brother's a businessman and said, dad, we already paid these hours. We're not going to lose this money. It was probably a few hundred bucks. So he said, I'm going to just get in there and sing. Had never taken a singing class in his What? Never. None of us. Like my sister probably played the clarinet badly in high school. And so we never thought of singing. And he goes in there, records just a song he liked. And it was great. Not like great singing, just Uh very entertaining. So I would consider my family very entertaining. TV on a stage. I'm a speaker. I'm not a singer. I'm I'm a preacher. Um, And and God just gave us this gift to entertain. And all my brothers became famous. My brother became Lupio Rivera, the highest selling singer of his time. Like, and my sister then just got in it too. She said, I'm a businesswoman. And so my sister is Jenny Rivera and she was a single mom, a thick, you know, we're thick women and singing about different things, just different topics, life topics, literally abortion or drugs and you know, being on welfare and no, it was just new. So it was, it's like country music uh-huh. on the Spanish side. And she became, first of all, the only regional Mexican artist to sell out the Staples Center. And now the only woman in her time. Now there's been another band that has sold out the Staples Center, but she for years was the only one, like, and the only woman to do it to this day. And uh, she passed away in a plane accident, which was devastating to us all in December of 2012. And we're still kind of healing from it. I mean, we're crazy Hispanic Mexican family. So we argue and disagree and are very vocal when we disagree, but we love each other very much. And that's always clear. And so her passing really, really did something to our family as a whole. And in between all that, in between the singing and the drinking that they sometimes do, we really fear the Lord. Uh, I can't say, my brother calls us part-time Christians. Not me, not anymore. But he says, you know, my sister was a believer, but wouldn't really show the world. Mm. And so that's who we are. Some people call us like the Mexican Kardashians. Maybe, you know, it doesn't happen to me. I mean, they're hardworking people, but I think we have a greater message. And my sister always said, that with a microphone and with money came responsibility. And she used that to advocate for sexual abuse victims. 
Well, thank you for that explanation of your family. And I know that will help a lot of people who are wondering, but I would like to kind of ask a couple of questions from that, especially like, you know, you said you're a preacher and, you know, you are not a part-time Christian like your brother used to say, what does faith look like? How did your faith develop and where did you become a Christian? My mom became a Christian when I was nine. And that was a big step because she was Catholic. So that transition was big for her. And we kind of, we had been joining my brother. So we kind of invited her and then she becomes a believer and it was great. I mean, a lot of my family, we would attend church together, which was Mm -hmm. gorgeous, but it was a very religious church. So I was born in a very religious, very strict church. I mean, they didn't have a worship band because drums were bad. Mm -hmm. And so then I left, you know, when you say that to a 13, 14, 15 year old, that's already dealing with a lot of pain that's not being dealt with. And then you get more rules. I rebelled and I left my walk into, oh, I was 25. And that's because I wanted to die. And mm-hmm. I hadn't talked to God since I was about 13, 14, because I would still go to church, but I was like, whatever. And my mom yeah. would say, hey, and I was that girl in the back row, just with the worst attitude. I didn't want to be there. Her mom literally dragged her to church. And then I would wear crazy outfits just to annoy everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the tight jeans and I would go all gothic, my yeah. poor mother. But at yeah. least I was there. Yeah. And, you know, when I was 25, I was just tired of living. I had gone through sexual abuse as a child, date rape at 15, assaulted at 16. And then I'm married to my best friend who I don't love, but I think he'll treat me right. Mm -hmm. So He'll be a a stepdad to my daughter. I've known him my whole life. I don't love him, but hey, marry who loves you, right? That's what I thought. And it just became really abusive really fast. Psychologically, verbally, I didn't even remember my name anymore by three months. I was never called Rosie or babe. It was every horrible name you can call a woman. And I was just ready to die. It was like confirming everything that I thought about myself. Mm. You're just good for sex and you're not even that good at it. You're horrible. You've been promiscuous. You've used drugs and alcohol and you probably have a porn addiction. So you are this dirt that he calls you. And so one night we were in a hotel room and he had just been horrible all month and I didn't want to have sex with him. And he raped me and threw me out of the hotel room. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with being alive. And I started literally screaming up at God. I hadn't talked to him. And when I do talk to him, I was like yelling. I was a little bit drunk and I had taken like 40 pills because I was just going to kill myself. And I said, you know what? I, if my mom is right and you're merciful, then please take my life. Mm. And now, now it's different. Now it's like I surrendered my life to him, but I didn't even know what I really wanted. I was talking physical. Yeah. But God in the middle of the street, two in the morning, crazy looking girl. I was acting crazy, dressed crazy. And he saved me right there. He just said, go home. And it was so peaceful yet firm, loving. I didn't hear it. I felt it, but I knew his voice said, this is God. And I have to decide Am I going to keep running from him because I'm afraid he'll reject me? So I'm playing this, I'll reject you before you reject me, God. He's not a boyfriend. Like, Mm. am I, should I just talk to him? I think I'm going to talk to him. And so I had forgotten all my prayers. I hadn't read a Bible in years. I didn't remember any worship songs. I said, I'm just going to reply to his question. I mean, I'm going to ask him a question because he said, go home. Mm. Well, a woman like me didn't feel like I had a home. I lived with this man. I didn't want to go back there. I mean, if I wanted to die, I didn't want to die murdered. 
I couldn't go back to my mom's like a failure, a single mom failure, like failed marriage. Where do I belong, Jesus? And I just asked him, I said, God, where can a woman like me? I'm confused sexually. I don't know if I like boys or girls. I'm promiscuous. I have a porn addiction. I abuse alcohol and drugs and I want to change, but I don't know if I can. Mm. So where is there a place that will receive me and cheer me on as I'm trying to change? But if I fall, which most likely I will, because Rosie will just mess up, they'll still love me. I've never had a place like that, Jesus, because I know places where people fall and they drop you off. They throw you away. And it can still make me cry because I'm 40 and I still mess up. And sometimes I still want a home like that, friendships and churches and family. And God, I love the Holy Spirit so much because he reminded me right there after all the whatever, I hate your church that I had told my mom, I was just so rude. She would still say, Jesus loves you. And all the stuff she told me, the Holy Spirit Mm. reminded me right there. And I said, I can go to his house. It's his house. I belong there. I'll be loved and received there by him. I don't know if the church per se will love my outfit or that I show up, you know, hungover, but he'll receive me. And I walked into church the next day with my mama, who had been praying for me for 11 years. She was shocked. And I just said, mama, I want to go to church. She said, don't mess with me, girl. Do not, do not make me late. And uh, she was able to witness me surrender my life to Christ. And that was at 25. And the walk has not been easy, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Like with everything that comes with the walk, this is where I want to be. That's a phenomenal story. And I think it's encouraging to two type of people. Number one, there's someone listening that is like, I feel the same way. And I remember feeling that a little bit rosy before I started following Jesus as well. There was this feeling of, I want to change, but I don't know if I can. And I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to be good. Like, I remember saying that all the time. I was like, I want to be good. I don't know how to be good. And it was only like, I couldn't do it on my own. I needed Jesus. But there's also a mama that's listening that has been praying for a child. And neither you nor I can promise her anything about her child. But this is a story of hope of you said your mom's been praying for 11 years and then you come in. So 15 years now, you said you're 40. So you've been following Jesus, you know, for 15 years and it hasn't been easy. I think anyone that's been following Jesus for a second knows that it doesn't automatically turn easy, but Mm -hmm. you've had a lot of hardship in those 15 years. Mm -hmm. And you also already told us you had a lot of hardship in your early years, sexual abuse, rape, the marriage. What has been the difference in walking through the hardship of the last 15 years with Jesus versus the hardship of all the years before without him? The peace. The peace is incredible. You know, whenever I do feel like, hey, when my mind tries to trick me, like if I just go back to drinking, Mm -hmm. at least it'll be fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, no, because the peace that God gives me, I mean, I'm not afraid of tomorrow anymore. I used to be so afraid of what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what's going to happen? Now it's like, hey, Jesus, whatever happens, you're going to be here, right? Mm. If it gets tough, I mean, I lost my sister, which was in walking with Christ, which was my biggest fear ever. The abuser told me, if you speak, I'm going to kill her. And I was eight, nine. So I thought he'll kill her. So can you explain that a little bit so that people, because I understand it from your book, but can you yeah. explain why that abuser had to do with your sister? Because she was my mentor and my friend. And, you know, I had one friend my whole life and that was my sister. I didn't need any more friends. I knew people, but I was very introverted, shy, antisocial. And, and my sister was my best friend. She was 12 years older. 
And she treated me like her first real baby doll, you know? And so I was her baby. And even when she had children, which she adored, I was still her baby. And so we were best friends. As I grew up, we'd hang out and party and drink together. And it was great. It was the most important relationship of my life. But when I was eight, nine, I adored her and he knew it. And he thought more than her life, if I threaten Jenny's life, it'll be scarier to her. He knew how to scare me and it terrified me. I was quiet. I thought I had to save her. I thought her life was in my hands and that I had to suffer and take the suffering of the silence to save her and then to save my mom and then to save my brothers from killing her. You didn't necessarily say this in the book. It was your sister's husband. Am I right? Can you say that publicly? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Explain that too. Cause I think that is helpful for people. So she, she was married. This was her first husband. She got married at 15 to him, not married, married, but she moved out with him and he was 22. And for us, you know, I trusted him. We don't have in-laws. We have more brothers, more mm-hmm. sisters. So I was eight. I had known him my whole life and I trusted him and I saw him as a brother. So when he said, we're going to play a game, okay, let's Mm. play a game, you know? And he said, it's a love game. So I knew love. I knew love very well and I knew games very well. So it just really confused me for many years. What are games? What is love? Mm. What is going on here? I didn't know sex. So for a full year, I was like, what's going on? Why do I feel like this? I feel dirty. This isn't a fun game. And I feel like I'm hurting my sister, but I don't know why. Mm. And then when he threatened me, I know for sure something's wrong. Now I know this is wrong, but I couldn't say anything because I thought he's going to kill her. And there was so much domestic violence between them that I saw him. I saw them hit each other. Mm -hmm. It was almost normal. So I said, he'll kill her. It's not only an empty threat. I thought he could have. And so I didn't speak up until I was 16. And I told her the Holy Spirit. I mean, I wasn't a believer, but I just decided one day. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to take this risk because he's trying to take away her kids. And what if he does something to them? And thank God she believed me. Thank mm. God she was just, you know, ready to and it. But it devastated her because it was her first husband. Yeah. And so when your sister passed away in the plane crash, your greatest fear in all of life, there it was right in front of you. And that is eight years ago, almost nine. Almost nine. Yeah. And it was very public because I became her trustee and I was hiding. I never wanted to be in front of a camera. I'm still healing. Jesus is healing me, but I like my privacy. So that day I lost my privacy Mm. and I lost my best friend, my sister. And, and life has never been the same since then. But to back to your question, even with all the pain, even with all the feelings, the peace is there. When I cry out to Jesus, because I still get anxious and I still get nervous and I, whoa. But when I allow myself to go back to Jesus, this peace that comes back is, okay, I'm in the right place. Mm-hmm. He's going to be with me no matter what happens. Yeah. yeah. This whole book that you just released this summer is called God is Your Defender, Learning to Stand After Life Has Knocked You Down. And you know, you've given us a handful of examples of how life has knocked you down over the past 40 years. And it's been hard. What is it about God being your defender? There's a thousand things that we could say that God is, you know, and they're all part of his attributes. They're all beautiful. They're all wonderful. We need them all. But I know that when people write books, they come from a space in their soul and their heart that is dear to them. And so what is it about God being a defender 
that has moved you so much? The surprises, the way he redeems things, I'm still in awe. You know, when this book is about God being your defender, but it's also about allowing him to be your defender mm-hmm. because sometimes we step in and try and defend ourselves, but it's, it's about letting go of the revenge for me. Mm-hmm. I want people that read this book to let go of the revenge. I wasted 18 years of bitterness and planning, trying to find ways to kill this man. And I was just bitter and tired. And when I let God be my defender, then I could focus on my healing. And I mm-hmm. wish I had done that year one. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm just going to heal. God's going to handle it. And the way he surprised me and the way he handled it, the story he creates is so different from mine. Mm. No one's in jail. There's no blood on my hands. I let it go. I'm at peace. I rest. I finally sleep now. And God just did in an amazing way. So the best thing that I like about God being my defender is that I can focus on my healing and he's going to surprise me. And he continues to surprise me with the things that he does. You know, it's interesting when I was reading your book and I knew a little bit about your story. And so I thought like, oh, God is her defender. And I thought of these big like things, you know, like um, sexual abuse and losing your sister and hard marriage, like all the things that were kind of like flashy and big. But you talk a lot about the small moments, the everyday moments where we have to really lay down control. We have to lay down our ideas of what we want. And I was moved a lot by that because there was a part of me that was like, oh, like I don't need to defend myself because everything feels quote unquote good right now in life. And I was really, really encouraged by the way you brought all that back to like, it is like an everyday thing for us to lay down and let God take control. And that, I mean, you could probably agree. I think it's like you have to learn to do that. It is a muscle that we have to learn to do. And so what does that process look like for you? Like, what are some things that help you really say, God, I am going to lay it down. I am going to let you have your way. I'm going to let you be my defender. What does that look like on like maybe a practical way even? My best example, and I think the one where the muscle I'm using it the most is with my husband. You know, he's my best friend and and we love each other very much, but we're so different. Like we can fight about the dumbest things (laughs) or I think I'm right or they they can be huge things, Mm -hmm. but you're still going to sleep with this man. You know, right? I'm not going to have a divorce. I've decided it and not too long ago. Okay. Just to be quite honest, it's biting my tongue and doing that surrender of like, I'm not his teacher. Mm. I'm not going to teach him how he's wrong. God, you know what's going on. You know how long we've been dealing with this. I think I'm right. But can you please defend me and you telling him? Defend this marriage, even not just me. I want this solution. I can't communicate it to him. I'm upset. I'm hurt. And if I speak right now, I'm going to burn down this whole house. So please be my defender and tell him, Holy Spirit, you're going to tell him better. He'll probably receive conviction or tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. And so it's really going to my secret place, my war room, my my restroom, my car, and just crying it out and just saying, I think he's just so wrong and and saying, but I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to say anything. Help me not say anything and help him listen to you. And those are, it can be a little thing. It can be, I asked you to clean out this garage six months ago and now I'm about to blow up. And, And so it's a very little thing, but that just shows you that with time, those little things can get so big that if I don't leave them in God's hands, a garage could really cause a huge war in my house. So it's just, I'm going to leave this garage up to you, God, or show me how to speak to him. And he always defends me in that. When I allow him to do that, there's been times that my husband will come up and say, hey, babe, you know what? 
I'm really sorry. I haven't done the garage. I, that's wrong of me. I'm going to start working on it. And I'm like, oh, thank you, God. But I left it up to you rather than Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. I remember when my husband Aaron and I were going through something, I can't remember. And I remember I prayed, God, would you either change his heart or change mine? But you got to work on one of us because we're not going anywhere the way that we are. We're hitting heads. We're disagreeing. So I'm willing for you to change my heart. But I'm saying you got to do one or the other. Has he ever told you like when I'm like, I'm so mad at Abel, God, you should tell him because he's wrong. And God's like, I'll talk to Abel, but I'm also going to talk to you. Oh, and he let me know you have a lack of forgiveness. You're bitter because of something he did a year ago. Uh, Oh, okay. You're like, (laughs) that's not how I wanted this to go down, but okay. I'll sit here and listen. You know, speaking of marriage, you just mentioned, and I saw you recently talk about this on Instagram as well, about how God's really done a work in your marriage and has just redeemed a lot of broken places and healed a lot of things. And I think you even mentioned it recently with your son's birthday or something about how special that was. What are some of the ways that God has worked in your marriage over the past couple of years? The way at the different level of mercy a different level of mercy. He's been able to really teach me what true mercy is. So it's not just biting your tongue and hoarding it, you know, but it's really forgiving him for things that I had no idea I was even mad about. So God has, has really taught me to love him as is and not love him for who I know he can be. It's great to see potential in your husband, but I was wrong for loving Abel in 10 years. I, God has taught me to love Abel who he is now Mm. and the vulnerability, like vulnerability. It was scary to let him see me who I really was. So he's done so much in those areas, vulnerability, mercy, and we're friends again. You know, we stopped being friends for a good five years, six years. There was Mm. no jokes. It was, you know, not horrible, but now I can laugh with him. I can look him in the eye. And laugh, really laugh. And and those are the things I'm treasuring now. That's really great. Uh, Rosie, I love the work that you're doing in everything that you're doing, speaking and books and you and your husband and ministry and your family, the you know Spanish Kardashians, whatever you want to call your family. And I'm just thankful for the voice that you have and really the way that you're really encouraging women to lay those things down. And you are not a woman who has doesn't understand how hard it is to lay things down. And so hearing your story helps us understand that we too can do that. I would love to know what you're loving these days. What is something you're loving? Are you a reader? Are you reading anything these days? What are you loving? I am a reader, but what I'm loving right now, and I know I'm a little late, I am loving Pinterest. Oh, yes. (laughs) I can't because I'm off of like social media sometimes. Every time I'm fasting social media, I'm like, but Pinterest isn't social media. I just, I love, I'm really into just watching girls um, put put outfits together. Uh So So like fashion stuff on Pinterest. On Pinterest, yeah. I love it. And I'm watching, and I'm loving Zillow because we're going to move to Dallas. So I'm looking for houses. So I'm on Zillow all day, but genuinely loving it. Like just, so, so I would say Pinterest and Zillow. I love that. There is a um, crazy Instagram I follow that is kind of like Zillow, but it has crazy houses. Like, I don't even know how to explain it, except for they'll like, they put houses up that you like see like a normal house. And then in the basement, it's like this massive casino, like just the most random houses that you might find on Zillow. There's a whole Instagram account to follow them. I'll send it to you in case you yes, would like to see do. crazy houses in it. Dallas. <laughs> well, welcome. To, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, welcome to Texas, because, you know, you. just so you know, everyone in Texas, we think this is the best place you could ever be. So 
Yes, I hear from what I hear, God lives in Texas. That's (laughs) what I hear. He resides here. He lives here. He moves here. He is all things. So welcome. Rosie, thank you for joining us today on the happy hour. Thank you so much, Jamie. Really appreciate it. All right, friends, I hope you loved that conversation as much as I did. I could almost picture her mom saying, girl, don't play with me when she said she wanted to go to church. I was encouraged by this conversation of being reminded of how much God truly is our defender, and he truly is the one who is going to make all things right. If you loved Rosie and our conversation today, be sure and check out her book, God is Our Defender. You can get that wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com.